Welcome to Grid Talk, a series of conversations with the leaders and innovators shaping the 21st century grid. Hosting the podcast is Marty Rosenberg, an award-winning energy journalist. The series is sponsored by the Department of Energy's Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Now, here's Marty Rosenberg with Grid Talk. Hi, and welcome to Grid Talk. Today, we have with us Elliot Mainzer, who's the president and CEO of California's Independent System Operator. Good morning, Elliot. How are you? I'm fine. Good to speak with you. Thanks. Yes. So um, let's plunge right in and talk about the hot weather. Um, Last Sunday, I read a press release that you called the first flex alert because of the unseasonably hot weather. I believe in Southern California, it was 15 degrees above normal this time of year. What does that flex alert mean? And how are you sitting going into this hot summer? Yeah, the flex alert is a tool that we use when we are seeing really tight conditions uh, in the day ahead market. So if we run the market in the in the early afternoon and it looks as though we may be facing limits on imports or just loads inside California that are really stressing the grid or, that, or a combination of those two things, we trigger the flex alert, which is which goes out to consumers across California. It encourages them to take a set of really specific actions, particularly during the hours from about 4 p.m. to 9 p.m., that period when the solar fleet starts to back off and loads continue to you know, stay relatively high, what we refer to as our net peak. So that's our that's our mechanism of, of communicating that we need conservation from consumers, and we've put a lot of effort into it this year to try to increase the breadth and reach of that program. So before we plunge in, into some great uh, nitty-gritty detail. Let's let's take a big step back and tell our listeners who are energy professionals how running California's ISO is different from the 18 years you spent at Bonneville Power Authority. What's similar? What's different? And then I'm going to ask you, how does your ISO differ from, let's say, Texas's ERCOT in terms of um, similarities and differences? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, there were definitely some interesting similarities uh, in terms of my experience up at BPA. One of the things that people often forget is that Bonneville doesn't actually own the hydroelectric dams on the Columbia River. The, the, the dams are actually owned and operated largely by the Army Corps of Engineers and the Bureau of Reclamation. Bonneville owns the transmission grid up there and has to work very closely with both of those other federal entities to have a coordinated and reliable operation on the Columbia River. And so it's actually quite interesting coming down to California. You know, the ISO operates the transmission grid in California and operates the energy market within California. Of course, the energy imbalance market that, that spans other parts of the West. But we have to work very closely with the California Public Utilities Commission and the California Energy Commission, the two state entities that have sort of primary jurisdiction over some of the most important resource adequacy decisions in California. So resource planning, load forecasting, procurement, those are all state-level functions. And so there's a similar um, important set of relationships and coordination collaboration that have to happen in order for California to stay reliable. So that's been a big focus for me uh, coming in over the last nine months is, is, is building those partnerships and making sure that there's a real clear understanding of the, of the relative division of labor between us. I think when we look at Texas and we look at California, 
you know, there are some very, I think, foundational differences uh, in, in the energy market design in California. You know, as we learned in Texas, you know, Texas relies very much on, on scarcity pricing to send incentives for generation. I think we saw, you know, last February, just the kind of runaway electricity prices and some of the economic damage that that caused and, and you know, some of the limitations of their resource adequacy framework. California, obviously, ch- challenged in certain areas, just keeping up with the pace of the climate signal, keeping up with the just the incredible amount of resource transformation that's happening on both the generation and transmission side, but possesses, a, I think, a much more durable and sort of more forward-looking resource adequacy and, and capacity procurement framework, I think, that they have in Texas. And so the fact that we've got a you know, planning reserve margin and procurement processes and explicit targets around uh, the procurement of capacity, I think is very important in California. And I think it's a differentiating factor. So California is moving uh, fairly rapidly towards uh, being fully renewable, carbon-free. I believe the electric system by 2045. What role does CalISO play in that effort? I mean, we play an absolutely essential role. I mean, obviously, there's a couple areas just, just in terms of, of infrastructure operations and planning, you know, the next five, seven years, California is going to be bringing on a monumental amount of new supply into the system. Just last week, the California Public Utilities Commission approved an order for 11,500 megawatts of new capacity and energy resources coming online. A lot of it to replace retiring generation. The Diablo Canyon nuclear plant is retiring the next several years as are a set of once through cooled gas plants. So, just getting the replacement capacity on the system is a big challenge. And we are going to have to be very efficient in how we process our interconnection queue. And we're going to have to work very closely with the asset owners to make sure that we have the necessary deliverability, the necessary network upgrades and substation infrastructure to get those resources on the grid. So that's very important. And we have to be very forward-looking on our transmission planning, also extremely pragmatic about the grid infrastructure to make sure we can we can onboard new resources. So that's foundational. And of course, you know, our energy market is is extremely important as a vehicle for sending the right price signals, the right points of interconnection and integration and operations of these new resources, everything from forecasting and state awareness tools just to, to the types of actual market designs, market structures that we put in that set the right incentives. One of the big areas that we're really having to push the envelope on now is in the area of energy storage. I think you've heard, you know, we're going to have as much as 2,000 megawatts of batteries on the California grid this summer. They're going to play a really important role of shifting generation from the middle of the day into the post-sunset times. And we've, you know, we've put some initial mechanisms in place that are, you know, I would say a little bit sort of command and control types of mechanisms. We will actually make sure that the batteries have a minimum state of charge during those times when we see some insufficiencies in the day ahead market. But over time, we want to better evolve our energy market so that it better aligns price signals and reliability with both the intrinsic and extrinsic value and and opportunities of those batteries and also opens up opportunities for new chemistries and new durations so that energy storage can really flourish uh, on our system. So both of those, I think, are, are really important um, things that we can do on both infrastructure, readiness, and efficient operations. So the the California grid um, is one of the largest and most complex in the world. To what extent is integrating this 2,000 megawatts 
a game changer for the industry that that's going to have implications outside of California. And that's A, and part B for the question is, how large is the storage going to get as we work towards 2045? Well, we certainly um, recognize that the amount of storage on the California grid this summer is, is going to be one of the largest in the world. And, and we're very uh, excited to be sharing our experiences uh, with others in the utility community literally around the world. Uh, through through various efforts, and and we're going to be comparing notes with others who are experimenting as well. So that's something that I think it will be a bit precedential. And I think we also recognize that just over the next several years, we will be putting several thousand megawatts more energy storage on the system. Certainly, lithium-ion batteries, but also experimenting with some of the longer duration storage technologies as well. And I think that energy storage across multiple different dimensions is going to be a key part of California's resource strategy. I mean, the thing we really need more than anything now on our grid is to make sure that we have dispatchable capacity during the the net peak period. That's the transition that's really been happening as we've been removing natural gas projects from the system and shifting to much greater reliance on on wind and solar. The energy content of those resources is is extremely valuable. It's clean, carbon-free generation, but we need to better match it up with the pattern of demand on the system. So that's going to be a big focus area. And then looking for other types of, of I guess, firm, clean generation resources that can play a mix. You know, geothermal, uh, that's obviously something that's, that's being looked at in California. And 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 looking longer term at, at everything from, from hydrogen, carbon capture and storage, et cetera. And then I would just mention, of course, a transmission and wide area geographical diversification. So... California now has begun looking quite aggressively at, at offshore wind. And then we're particularly during this period of time looking very carefully now at some of the other transmission lines that are being developed across the Western United States that have the potential to provide significant resource diversification uh, for, for California and other states, and also to provide greater interconnectivity between the different regions of the West to support the economic and environmental value of our growing and evolving regional energy markets. So all of those dimensions are going to be critical to California to make sure that we can meet our long-term decarbonization targets. So so talk about the wholesale energy market and how it works across the West. And uh, how how is it working today? And what kind of tweaks do you see needed going forward? And what, what kinds of capabilities is it giving you? Right. Well, as you recall, uh, back in 2014, we the CAISO and Pacificor opened up and started the energy imbalance market, building off the California ISO's real-time market architecture. And that market has grown to the point now where I think by the end of next year, we'll have close to 80% of the load in the West represented in that market. It's been really a, just a tremendous success. It's produced over $1.3 billion of of gross value, and it's developed a whole new set of working relationships and opportunities for optimization across utilities in the West. And I think now, as the Western United States really, let me just quickly interrupt. Yeah. The one point three billion in value creation. Can you define it a little more, and then continue? Yeah, exactly. The so the gross value that's been created through the economic trade uh, between the energy imbalance market participants. Uh, has been estimated at, at that much money, about a billion three uh, since the market was created. So this is opportunities for folks to buy cheaper resources from others that have them and for others to sell uh, and, and monetize the value of their of their surplus electricity that might otherwise go to waste, might otherwise be curtailed. 
So it's been a, a tremendous opportunity to open up real values, and I think it's had a significant impact on greenhouse gas emissions in the West as well. So it's just been a fabulous success, and I think there's a lot of interest now in the West in continuing to grow and develop the regional energy market. And so we are now in the process of making some very important governance reforms uh, to the energy imbalance market. Those will be voted on uh, later this summer. And now also really gearing up for a big push uh, into the day ahead market. We have a number of entities, I think, that see that that would be a very logical next step to grow that. And then, of course, there are many folks in the West now who are looking at even longer term end states around true regionalization of the energy market in the West. And we're paying very careful attention to that as sort of a potential end state and trying to take some really good solid next steps to keep the, to keep growing the value of the energy market, energy imbalance market and beyond and, and keeping the utilities that we collaborate with working closely together uh, to make more progress. Uh, California has upwards of uh, 600,000 electric vehicles now. It's one of the densest concentrations of EVs in the world. How does that roll up and affect both CalISO and the imbalance market? And how do you see the um, ISO and the market facilitating rapid expansion of EVs? Well, I think for, from our perspective, the, the retail utilities are really on the front lines of the uh, electric vehicle move. You know, Southern California Edison, PGE, the other utilities in California are really driving that and also making sure that the necessary distribution level upgrades are being made to accommodate the, the, the electric vehicles on the system. From our perspective, what we think is really, really important in California is that rate design uh, and expectations are established early that incentivizes those batteries to come on to be grid assets, not necessarily grid liabilities, which means we're going to want them to have the capacity to change their charging behavior in response to price signals and to make sure that their load comes onto the system in ways that doesn't exacerbate the challenges that we're having with our net peak. So, you know, charging in the middle of the day uh, on a hot summer is going to be a fabulous <laughs> opportunity rather than uh, and, and value to the system and rather than coming in at, at 7 o'clock in the evening and plugging in. As a matter of fact, if these batteries have the two-dimensional capability, they can they have the capacity to come in and charge during the day and actually even release some of their power into the grid later in the evening and be part of the reliability solution. So we need to think of them as grid assets uh, as they come on the system. And I think that's probably our biggest interest at the ISO. Back about a, a decade ago, there were folks at the Department of Energy that said enough generation existed in the United States to handle the crossover from fossil fuels to EV transport without building additional um, generation if as you just said, the utilization is the right time of day. Well, now that you have automakers and government policymakers saying it's only a matter of time till fossil fuel cars aren't made anymore, is California and CalISO ready for the day when all vehicles are electric? I don't know if it's in 20 years or 40 years, but how are you preparing for that and what impact will that have? Well, as you, as you know, um, Governor Newsom uh, late last year stipulated to executive order that, that, that California will be effectively phasing out sales of, of combustion engines, internal combustion engines by 2035. So that's a major goal. And so we're certainly preparing for that. Some of these things can even accelerate depending on how the market opens up. So the California Public Utilities Commission, the California Energy Commission, the utilities are definitely 
beginning to really try to integrate into their forecasts what both the capacity and energy demand will be from that fleet of vehicles that really migrates under the grid. And of course, even other major sectors of our economy are going to be migrated under the grid. So that load growth is going to be important for us all to deal with. Just on the face of that, does that mean if you take the electric market place in California and bolt on the gasoline sales marketplace, that's what the new electric uh, economy is going to be comprised of? Yeah. Is it going to grow exponentially? It's going to grow. It's going to grow in a very big way. I don't have at my easy disposal today what, what the specific you know low growth factor is, but you know I think there's a, a real expectation that in the next 20 years California is going to see tremendous growth in total demand on its system from the migration of the transportation and other sectors on the grid. We're starting to you know get a better handle on that through the Energy Commission and the PUC and. And as I mentioned, we need to make sure that there's uh, wholesale market interfaces and the transmission infrastructure and the right pricing to make sure that as, as that new demand comes on the system, it, it happens efficiently and as cost-effectively as possible. If you look at the West, California is heavily, densely populated with, with a lot of agricultural land, but the rest of the West has wide open spaces. Do you think the marketplace that you're forging across multi-states will allow for ever-increasing amounts and deployments of renewable, I'm thinking wind and solar, uh, to make this new reality possible? I do. I think that, you know, utilities across the Western United States now are all really leaning in with their regulators uh, and their constituents around them and recognizing that a tremendous amount of additional renewable resources is going to need to be developed, whether it's in Wyoming or Utah or Idaho or the Pacific Northwest, or Arizona, or Nevada, uh, New Mexico. So there's a lot of work going in to really take a look at the permitting and siting. And then now, particularly with the very strong interest of the Biden administration, and we have a, we have a number of people, quite a few people in, in the current administration who really understand the importance of transmission development and resource diversification in the West. And I think we're seeing you know, potentially through the through the infrastructure bill, a lot of very targeted and intelligent support being directed towards the West to potentially get, help get some of these transmission lines built and to access those diverse resources. So I do think it's going to be critical. I, there's just no way we're going to be able to meet our clean energy objectives reliably without additional transmission resource diversification. Elliot, we we talked about the the heat that has come on early uh, and waiting in the wings. Everybody is nervously watching forest fire development. That is a major threat to the electric grid, is it not? And, and as somebody that's privy to all the planning that's been going on, is there an answer to these burning wildfires, or is it just something that's going to be a wild card for as far as the eye can see? You know, I think unfortunately we've we've entered a new normal here with with temperatures, the kind of drought that's spreading in the West at the moment. You know, just you mentioned just last week it was it was 117 degrees in Salem, Oregon, um, you know, it's as hot as it has ever been in Vegas. I mean, just the the pattern of of heat and drought is it's it's alarming, and so this is something that we're going to be dealing with. You know, I think for for some time and has a lot of implications for resource planning. The wildfire risk itself is something that obviously California has really struggled with in recent years and putting in tremendous time and effort and capital to harden up its grid. 
so far we've been reasonably lucky. I'll say that the the power the public service power shutoffs that have happened within California have not had tremendous impacts to the bulk electric system. But really, it's just a matter of time, likely when one of the major you know AC or DC paths uh, gets impacted by one of these fires. And so it's something that we're having to watch very carefully. It is a significant risk variable for this summer, and we've started to try along with with um, you know, the investor and utilities and the public utilities to try to really communicate better through our, our through our reliability coordinator function that, that spans a bunch, quite a bit of the Western United States to improve communication coordination around wildfires and to make sure that we get the best updated information about any lines that may be impacted. So it's a definite risk variable and something that doesn't appear to be going away anytime soon. Well, help educate our, our audience. Um, these DC major DC pathways, I assume there's quite a bit of brush clearing and around it. Um, if there's fire on either side of these lines, might it impact them, or how how would that scenario evolve? And, yeah. and uh, what yeah. would the impact be? Could you see large parts of the state going without electricity until it's restored? Well, put it this way, I mean, of course, the, the ISO, we are not the actual owners of the transmission lines, right? We operate them, but they're owned by the utilities. And the major path operators, you know, here in California, whether it's, you know, Los Angeles Department of Water Power or Southern California Edison, PG&E, and then, of course, in the Northwest, you've got the Bonneville Power Administration and others. Those entities work very hard uh, to manage vegetation loading around those transmission lines and try to keep those corridors as healthy as possible. And I think many of them are, are in, in good shape. I think some of the other transmission lines that feed into them, particularly ones that, you know, heavy natural forests, which have been very stressed by the drought and are increasingly fire prone, those are some of the ones that we're, that we're particularly interested. So we really look to the asset owners to do the hard work of keeping those transmission corridors in good shape, the, the vegetation management and the constant you know, surveying to make sure there aren't any disturbances. And we then provide the state awareness of how the grid is actually being operated, look for overloadings and, and work with them to make sure that there are contingencies in place if any of these lines are taken out by the wildfires. But we really are dependent on others to, for the day-to-day care and feeding. You think we'll get through this summer without a major outage or is it too hard to tell? It's too hard to tell, honestly. You know, we've already had, we, you know, we had our first major heat wave four days before the official start of summer. We called our first flex alert on uh, June 17th and June 18th. And then just this last weekend, you know, it was extraordinarily hot in the Pacific Northwest. You didn't get that hot in California. The next week or so are looking reasonably calm, but honestly, it's just, you know, we're just recognizing now the risk of simultaneous major heating in the Northwest, in the desert Southwest, in the Intermountain West simultaneously just appears to be increasing. So we're obviously doing absolutely everything within our power to, to minimize the probability of, of, of rotating outages. But honestly, it's, it's going to take a lot of communication coordination. If we get, and when we get in those tight conditions, we need to make sure that our, our demand response programs, both the voluntary and compensated programs, are as effective as possible. With all these pressures um, and with the, the task of coordinating with your members and, and the, on the board and uh, the Cal PUC and the California Energy Commission, do you still have time to play the saxophone? And uh, how do you deal with it all? 
you know, I'm going to admit my sax playing has, has uh, attenuated a little bit this last year. I think ever since I left Bonneville in August of uh, 2020 and made this transition, it's been a busy year. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm blessed with a very supportive family. I do try to get out for some exercise. I've really enjoyed meeting my new colleagues uh, at the ISO and in the state and staying connected to my old friends uh, in the Northwest and others. It's, you know, the relationships are really important. That's probably what gets me to it. And it's meaningful work. You know, this is, this is, these are important challenges and I'm inspired by the goal of, of getting through this transition in a reliable fashion. So it's exciting work, very satisfying. And I appreciate your interest and all your listeners and many of whom I'm sure are folks that we partner with in one way or another. And it's ultimately partnerships and collaboration that are going to make us uh, successful. So looking forward to more of that. Thank you, Elliot. My pleasure. It's great talking to you. Thanks for listening to Grid Talk. We've been chatting with Elliot Manzo, who's the president and CEO of the California Independent System Operator. You have been listening to Grid Talk. Please send us feedback or questions to gridtalk at nrel.gov. And we encourage you to give the podcast a rating or review on your favorite platform. For information or to subscribe, please visit smartgrid.gov. Thanks for listening to Grid Talk, presented by the U.S. Department of Energy Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Subscribe through your favorite podcast provider or visit smartgrid.gov for more information.